China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up... World leaders have marked a new phase of progress towards the Sustainable Development Goals at the UN General Assembly. Iran and the United States have exchanged prisoners after nearly six billion US dollars of Iran's frozen assets was released and confirmed by Doha. And senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi has highlighted an independent foreign policy for China and Russia when meeting his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow. We begin in North America. World leaders are gathering in New York for the annual UN General Assembly High-Level Week. Global issues such as climate change and regional conflicts are on the agenda. A two-day Sustainable Development Goals Summit opened on Monday to galvanize global action to achieve the objectives, with world leaders reaffirming their commitment to the plan. Nathan King reports from the UN headquarters in New York. Sustainable Development Goal, SDGs as they know, the uh, uh, successor to the very successful Millennium Development Goals, which uh, reduced poverty uh, by half somewhere, uh, in a way uh, led largely by China. Uh, now, the problem with these SDGs is they're much broader in scope and the world is not meeting its targets. Halfway through this project, they're meant to be done by 2030, uh, it's not happening. So, anti Guterres using the first two days of this UN General Assembly to really say, world to, needs to come together, unite and deliver on development. So the SDGs aren't just a list of goals. They carry the hopes, dreams, rights and expectations of people everywhere. And they provide the surest path to living up to our obligations under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights now in its 75th year. Yet today, only 15% of the targets are on track. And many are going in reverse. It's been a busy day of diplomacy uh, for uh, China on the first day. Han Zhang, uh, the vice president of China, representing China here all week, uh, basically meeting with Antti Guterres, the UN Secretary General, at uh, uh, his top office here at the UN Secretariat, and also meeting in a surprise uh, last-minute meeting with US Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken. Lots of other things on the agenda, of course. Climate change is slipping. We have the next COP coming up uh, in November. And obviously, there's conflict in Ukraine. Vladimir Zelensky uh, is here. He'll also be going to Washington to ask for more uh, money for weapons. But I'll tell you, especially in the global south, there's this feeling uh, that they really don't want Ukraine to dominate the UN General Assembly like it did last year. 
uh, and so they will be trying to focus on the on the development agenda, but also the forgotten crises that don't tend to get a lot of attention. I'm thinking of Yemen. I'm thinking about the slowness of getting a peacekeeping initiative for Haiti. Sudan, for example, all the coups uh, that we've re seen across the Sahel region and West Africa recently, they're going to get uh, attention. That was Nathan King on the UN General Assembly. Still in North America, the strike by U.S. auto workers now threatens to spread to Canada. The United Auto Workers Union also represents nearly 6,000 Canadian auto workers as the UAW strike against America's big three automakers has entered its fourth day. Negotiators have described the discussions over the weekend as reasonably productive, but an agreement appears nowhere in sight. Hendrik Sibrandi reports. <laughs> In Detroit this past weekend, members of the United Auto Workers Union had a loud and clear message for their bosses. It was echoed by a prominent U.S. politician. Time, they all said, to sit down and negotiate a fair contract. Existing deals for 146,000 workers at Ford, General Motors and Stellantis car assembly plants expired last Thursday. With no new contracts, nearly 13,000 of them at three factories were ordered onto the picket lines in a targeted action. These three units are being called to stand up and walk out on strike at midnight tonight. The union is demanding a 36% pay increase over four years, roughly double what the companies are offering. No Members are also calling for the end of wage tiers and better pension plans for new hires. Pretty reasonable, says President Biden. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including in the last few years, because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of the UAW workers. Those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. Back in 2007, they gave up cost of living raises and made pension concessions to help car makers survive the Great Recession. Now they say it's time for payback for companies to share some of their big profits. Some argue the COVID-19 pandemic also upset the status quo and convinced many workers they were being taken advantage of. And when you are in the midst of a crisis where a lot of things that you took for granted have become unraveled, you also recognize that this is an opportunity to make changes, to move yourself forward. A recent deal between Teamsters and UPS may also have sent a signal to the UAW that strikes pay off. I think these workers feel that they now have as much bargaining power as they're ever going to have, and so that's why this strike is happening now. Companies say union proposals are far too expensive, would make car makers less competitive with their non-union rivals, and that their hands can't be tied as they invest for an electric vehicle future. Workers say they're holding firm. Now it's time. We need a contract. We need one that take, takes care of the new hires. Well, I'm hoping it don't go too long. But if it do, we're just going to stand out here and fight. It's a battle, one analyst says, that each side thinks is essential to their future. Can they find a middle ground somewhere down the road? That was Hendrik Sibrandi on the U.S. auto workers' strike over pay dispute. Now moving on to Europe. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi is in Moscow on a four-day visit and will hold security talks with top Russian officials. He was welcomed by his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov. Alosha Milankovitch has more from Moscow. It is the first of several days of security consultations at Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs between China's top diplomat Wang Yi 
and Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. They also met here back in February when they discussed the situation in Ukraine. Wang Yi said the two countries have a special responsibility to maintain global stability. Together with the Russian partners, we are ready to stand firmly on the same side, to work on creating a multipolar world and to contribute to establishing a fairer world. Dear friend, I am ready to have the utmost detailed talks covering all questions. A friendly tone was clear from the start. And Sergei Lavrov, in his welcoming remarks, laid out the agenda the two ministers would cover at Monday's meeting. We're working under complicated conditions when the world is facing tectonic changes. It is very important that in March of the current year, leaders of our countries at their summit here in Moscow define the clear directions of the further deepening of our strategic cooperation and comprehensive partnership. These include cooperation in bilateral affairs as well as in international and regional issues. After a few minutes, journalists left the room so in-depth talks could start. And the work for the Chinese delegation here has just begun. That was Alosha Milankovic reporting. In Africa, efforts are continuing in Libya to recover the remains of those who died in last weekend's devastating floods. Officials say 450 bodies have been found in the Mediterranean Sea in the last three days. Authorities are investigating whether any government officials were negligent in the management of two dams that burst during Storm Daniel, releasing a tsunami-like wave that killed thousands in the nearby city of Derna. Wang Jamanga has more. It's now a week since floods devastated the city of Derna in eastern Libya. Many residents are still struggling to come to terms with what happened that Sunday. Ahmad Ali Kakra recalls how events unfolded rapidly on that fateful day. We were sitting with the family on the ground floor when the flood came. My sons and daughters were there and one of my sons was on my lap. My wife was also with us. When the flood came at us, my wife and children started to scream. When we went to check what the situation was, we saw the water reaching our knees. We didn't know what to do. His family lost some valuables, including cars, but he's thankful that he managed to save his wife, children and parents. Rescuers have been conducting recovery missions and retrieving corpses. More than 450 bodies were pulled out from the sea in the last three days. Ten bodies were pulled from the rubble of destroyed buildings and the operation is still going, but it's very complicated. The water from the flood washed everything away, from trees, cars, furniture, inside the houses, everything. There are many bodies underwater. The operation is complicated. There are fears that the situation could lead to the spread of diseases like cholera, even though no case has been recorded yet. Local authorities say they are isolating Dana from the rest of the country to avoid the possible spread of diseases in case of an outbreak. This comes as the Libyan Public Prosecutor's Office is conducting an investigation into how funds set aside for the maintenance of the two dams that burst near Dana had been spent in recent years. That was Wonjamangai on the aftermath of Libya's flooding. Finally, in Asia, following several months of indirect negotiations between Iran and the U.S., the two countries have finally completed the long-awaited prisoner swap. Asen Kivani has more from Tehran. Although Tehran claims the swap was basically a humanitarian move, the release of the money was a key element. 
The prisoner swap was happened on Monday afternoon, Tehran time, simultaneously with the arrival of President Ibrahim Raisi to New York to attend the annual United Nations General Assembly. Despite the deal, tensions are still high between the U.S. and Iran. A political analyst in Tehran told us although the prisoner swap would facilitate future efforts to revive the 2015 nuclear deal, the JCPOA is a complicated issue. If this prisoner exchange did not happen, then returning to JCPOA would be even harder. So I think it's a step in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that JCPOA will be revived. That's a separate issue. This comes as Iran's foreign ministry spokesperson expressed in his weekly presser that the Raisi administration has been committed to diplomacy and negotiations so far, adding that indirect meetings could take place between the Iranian and American officials in New York. If we find a diplomatic window of opportunity to remove the unjust sanctions and see all the parties, including the U.S., return to the agreement with commitment, we will take those opportunities. And direct negotiations can be held on the sideline of the U.N. General Assembly. The five U.S. citizens flew to Qatar on a chartered plane. In return, the U.S. released five Iranians, while two of them came to Iran from Qatar at their own will. Two others remained in the U.S., and the last one left the U.S. to join his family in a third country. Although many political analysts believe the revival of the JCPOA is a very difficult task, the timing of the prisoner swap plus the recent regional developments in the Middle East might give a glimpse of hope. That was Asen Kivani on Iran-U.S. prisoner swap deal. Before we go, the headlines again. World leaders have marked a new phase of progress towards the Sustainable Development Goals at the UN General Assembly. Iran and the United States have exchanged prisoners after nearly six billion US dollars of Iran's frozen assets was released and confirmed by Doha. And senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi has highlighted an independent foreign policy for China and Russia when meeting his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.